You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here on Westwood One's podcast network at CRTV. It is Wednesday already, March 14th. And gosh, it feels like this week is already uh, 20 days old. Um, Last night, we had the big Pennsylvania 18 elections where Republicans managed to lose a seat that Trump carried by 20 points. And it was so Republican that the Democrats failed to even field a candidate last cycle. Now, Republicans are spinning this as a loss because of a lackluster candidate. The problem is the Republican Party is one big lackluster candidate. It's, it's endemic of all of their candidates, pretty much. They have no narrative. They have no counter-narrative. You know, the left is pushing their march for lies today on gun control, and Republicans could speak about all of the issues we talk about here at the conservative conscience on public safety, on sanctuary cities, and the drug crisis that's being fueled by it. Um, the gang crisis, MS-13, and, you know, Trump touches on it here and there, but there's no united narrative with, with smart policies to, to counter and rhetorically jujitsu what the Democrats are doing. One of the biggest areas I want to get to today is healthcare. We had our piece yesterday kind of giving this counter narrative to what's going on. I'll link to it in show notes. By the way, I'm also going to have an article out today, at least putting pen to paper for the first time on my idea of a new contract with America, a new taxpayer and consumer bill of rights, very much prominent with healthcare. And I want to bring on one of our resident healthcare experts because the biggest issue, I didn't see any polling on this particular race, but the, by far the biggest issue on the voters' minds in the Virginia elections was health care. It was the top issue people wanted addressed in the State of the Union. Um, an AP poll just a couple months ago, I believe in December, came out and showed that 47% of voters rated health care as a top issue. No other issue came even close, and 7 out of the 10 who did name healthcare as a top priority, said that they had little to no confidence that government can improve matters. There is so much we could be talking about, and yet no narrative. So I felt, who better to bring on than our friend here, our one-man think tank on healthcare, State Representative Jim Butler in the Ohio legislature, a very critical state to healthcare on many fronts, um, to give us some, some sort of winning narrative how conservatives could win this election on health care. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Doing well. How you doing? I'm telling you, it, it is frustrating. Um, when you see the, the arsonists get away with being the firefighters and there's no one to call them out, um, obviously, unfortunately, Obamacare and even the term Medicaid have become too political and too loaded. That it just, you know, everyone kind of clams back up into their own political uh, you know, polarization. And no one's giving the narrative of what exactly these programs have done. And our audience is certainly very familiar with the fact that the government programs are very expensive. They drive up the debt, the single biggest driver of the debt. Um, yes, they've certainly driven up premiums to those that aren't being subsidized. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, Medicaid and really all the government programs, they're, for the most part, they're not like food stamps or TANF, where it's a government subsidy to the poor, impoverished consumer. They're, for the most part, handouts that create critical market share for cartels to get a monopoly and then screw the rest of us, and then even the people getting the subsidies themselves, not just spike the cost of healthcare, but how they hurt the delivery and the quality of healthcare. So could you start off by giving us some sort of a sense of how Obamacare and the Medicaid expansion 
are creating a monopoly for this cartel and hurting healthcare in America? Well, one of the, the biggest things that was in Obamacare that actually a lot of people, including myself at the time, thought, well, maybe that's even one little sliver of something good when you, when you see it, it's called the medical loss ratio. And that says that insurance companies can't spend more than 20% of their uh, money that they get in for premiums on administrative costs. Um, so that's, it, it sounds like that's something that we'd want. We want them to spend the money on providing medical care or paying for medical care and not on their own salaries. But as you would expect, whenever the government tries to interfere in that way, it backfires. And in, in fact, I'm sure this was actually written by the insurance cartel themselves, because what it does is it, it's a ratio. So if you're at 20% admin and 80% medical costs, the only way that you can make more money for yourselves, for your own salary, for your staff, for your office space, or anything else, is to actually spend more on medical care, to actually outlay more money, to raise premiums higher, because then the ratio, if, if the medical side goes up, the admin side could go up, and that, you know, in our system, obviously, businesses want to make money, but it's a complete perverse incentive for the insurance industry to, to actually want costs to go up. So that puts them where they used to, you know, back in the, the 80s under eight, with HMOs and so forth, where they at least had some incentive to want to control costs, squarely on the same side as our large hospitals, big pharmaceutical companies and so forth, and all of them now want the prices to go up. So what, the, what, the, what happens with the monopoly is they get in cahoots, the insurance uh, companies and the hospitals, so the, the hospitals say, hey, we, we're really expensive, but we provide great care, so you have to pay us more money. And the insurance company says, oh, your hospitals, I guess you got us there. We, we're going to have to pay you more money. Hey, you know, poor businesses and, and families and, uh, you know, uh, individuals out there, you're going to have to pay higher premiums. So it all works really well for the cartel. Um, they get to increase their ratio. They spend more on medical care so they can make more administrative or spend more on administrative costs. And the hospitals actually get more money, which just feeds into their ability to uh, buy up all the independent practices out there and create uh, monopolies in every area. In, in Ohio here, um, you know, we have maybe an oligopoly, but there's, there's one or two hospital networks that just bought up everything. They own it all. And, it's all, and that's the only game in town you have. It's a monopoly, and they can charge whatever they want, and they do. Um, so... And I'll, I'll just add one other thing that goes into that, and it's something that's been also perverted. So there was a law uh, that was passed in the 60s called a facility fee, where mm. um, Medicare, in this case, could pay more uh, for hospitals, an increased amount of money, so that they would be able to maintain their hospital you know, back in the 60s to make sure you had a place with, you know, if there was a trauma or, you know, a major uh, a problem that you had where you needed a hospital that would be there in the community. So that sounds like a noble thing. Well, wait, but of so, course, so Jim, it also... Jim, just to be clear, that means that, let's say I, I don't know, I went to get stitches. You know, something that you could do in a doctor's office, but instead I had that procedure done at an ER, and I was a Medicare patient, they would pay that same type of doctor, same type of procedure, they would pay more for this facility fee. They, that's the that's the concept because you're actually in a hospital. That's how it started. That's not what it is now. So what the hospital lobby lobby has done is say, well, it's not just if you go to a hospital to get your stitches in the ER. If you go anywhere to, to any facility that we own, that the hospital <laughs> network owns, even if it's a, a in a strip mall and it's some small clinic somewhere, then we get the facility fee. We get paid. It's generally three times more for the exact same service. And what they do is they'll buy practices. So, you know, on day one day, the, you know, you get, you get an x-ray and it's $30. Then the hospital buys the practice. They, ha- they change the sign out front and now they get $100. And that is across the board for everything they do. And it's taxpayer dollars. That comes from Medicare and now Medicaid. And we just, that's the reason for, for your listeners the reason why the hospitals are buying up everything is because they make three times more as soon as they do. Of course, they're buying up everything. It's wow. a great deal that they got from your, you know, friends in Washington D.C. Um, by their usual, you know, control of the government. Wow! Holy smokes! You know, I was I was thinking of you in our conversations when I'm in the process of drafting this uh, taxpayer and consumer bill of rights for whatever Freedom Caucus members want to hear from it. Um, 
that no taxpayer-funded program conceived to help the poor should be used to create monopolies for private entities hurt consumers. And, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking now, obviously I've seen this with all kind of our doctors, my wife's doctors. Um, all of a sudden, you know, here we have LifeBridge is big, you have MedStar, some other places. You know, you'll have a mm -hmm. practice, maybe one, two, three physicians. All of a sudden, um, it, you have the mergers, the acquisitions, and then private practice is going out of business. Now, look, as free right. market people, you and I, we don't have nostalgia for bank tellers. We understand that if a free market um, based on superior quality and competitive pricing dictates that certain things go by the wayside and there's a new wave of the future, well, that's the market dictating it. But to paraphrase Absolutely. Elizabeth Warren, um, and I think appropriately so here, you didn't build that. The government built it for you, right? Yeah, that's, they're, they're, they're right behind the, the, the hospitals and their ability. It isn't the free market. It isn't quality. Anyone who thinks that the healthcare is a free market right now is absolutely crazy. <laughs> we do not have a free market healthcare system in the United States. It is, 100, it is almost 100% government controlled or heavily subsidized or interfered with. So that the normal free market, which, which could work great, we could have low cost and high quality. There's many, many different things we could do. Not, uh, the first of which would be healthcare price transparency. Um, what Secretary Azar, I think, actually said recently, which was great to see, and at least talk about it and say that's what we need. We need to know what the prices are before you do a service. And in Ohio, we actually passed that law in 2015, and Governor Kasich um, has conspired to, to squash it in court. Is it so still in court? And we're still fighting that. So it's still tied up in the courts. Yeah, and the problem is the person that's supposed to be defending the law is Governor Kasich, who's <laughs> with the hospitals 100%. So I am trying to intervene in the lawsuit myself and my capacity as state representative, but the, you know, the judge they picked uh, ruled against us in the lower court. They went to the smallest county in Ohio, or one of the smallest counties in Ohio, um, but now we're now appealing it to the appellate court. But, you know, the problem is there's nobody that's in this court case that's actually wanting to have the free market because you got the hospitals who are suing, and you got Kasich who's doing, who, who actually got the Hall of Fame award from the hospitals in Ohio for the it's like one of the only politicians ever to get to, to get their Hall of Fame annual award, Governor Kasich. Wow, so he's he's definitely with them. You know, my blood pressure is too high for this early in the morning. It's usually by the end of the day. I'm I'm in such a bed <laughs> from everything I see. But you know, so our listeners understand. You know, John Kasich is the is the king of virtue signaling. Gets up there, um, bastardizes biblical verses to. Um, you know, just shove his sanctimony on us as if he cares about the poor. And, and, and I think what's so central to this is the problem is too many of our people, um, they debate, it becomes a debate over how much you want to care for the poor, when in fact, 74% um, of all Medicaid contracts nationwide, it's not like food stamps where you just give it to the people. It's given to the cartel, I believe, isn't it 80% is managed care in Ohio? Or something well, like it's, that. It's, it's well, it, they, for covered families and children in the Medicaid expansion population, it's a hundred percent. Oh, okay. <laughs> we have, yeah, we have, we have five managed, managed care companies, um, and one, the biggest one, headquartered in Dayton, Ohio, where I'm, where I'm from, um, CareSource, and you know, they, they, because of the, the way the, the rules are, are incentivized again to, to spend as much as possible on a per-person basis every year, as much as they can get away with, in order to get more the next year, because they get 6% off the top. So it's, wow. again, not a free market. And even worse, here's the worst, the worst part about, as you, I totally agree with what you said about uh, Medicaid, that you, they're giving it to the cartels, they're giving it to the insurance companies and the, um, and the hospitals and, and so forth, but the patients are who's suffering. And in Ohio, you know, we're ground zero on the, on the opioid epidemic. Mm. And that, that is, you couldn't see it any better way where everyone says, oh, Medicaid expansion is great. We need it, including John Kasich, you know, to treat the, the, the people who are addicted. Um, but the problem is that on the, on the front end, you have um, such low reimbursement rates. So you have the fact that rationing. And all of the people who are on Medicaid, yeah, of course they, I guess you could say they're covered, 
but they can't they can't be seen. So they they usually are seen by a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant because the reimbursement rates are so low. We have a movement towards sure. that with less training than a medical doctor. They're great, but they you know they do have less training. Um, in their in a primary care setting, they're, if they have pain, if that's why they're there, then they're not in a at a specialist because specialists will not take uh, sure. Medicaid patients. They're so, at, at first they were giving. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're just saying to they, they don't have the access to the better quality to systemically treat the actual illness to look at the symptom of pain and just deal with it with with prescriptions. Exactly. Exactly. They and they and because the reimbursement rates are so low. They they only they can see them for a minute, one minute, in and out, and yeah, you got pain, boom, here's a bunch of pills. So that's part of the problem. That's what initially fueled the problem. But then even worse, you have the the once the, once you're addicted, once you turn to heroin, and, and you know in Ohio we tried to shut down pill mills where they were the worst abusers of this. Um, but a lot of the people that uh, then didn't have access because they were just going to their uh, their primary care setting, they turned to heroin. So then, when they turn to heroin, then they're on they're on Medicaid. They come in and they get they get treatment, but the treatment isn't doesn't work. It works less than ten percent of the time, and and ninety five percent of the treatment is buprenorphine. It's called also known as suboxone. Um, and in Medicaid expansion state, it's very interesting data. The amount of buprenorphine that is covered by Medicaid in Ohio is fifty percent. West Virginia, it's fifty percent. Um, and all of the Medicaid expansion states, as you would expect, then that the, the amount of, of that product that's purchased by Medicaid is huge. In non-Medicaid expansion states, it's low. But ironically, that that because it's a morphine-based addicting medication, it keeps you addicted to the, to the to the medication itself. Then it has street value. And so either you're on it the rest of your life if you're an addict, or you go back to using heroin or carfentanil or fentanyl. That you sell it, you so sell you're it. selling the you're selling the free pills that you got because you're you know you doesn't you have no skin in the game as a Medicaid patient, so you get either a bunch of oxycontin and you sell them for twenty bucks, a, a, you know, a pill I think, uh, or uh, you're getting the suboxone, the buprenorphine, and you're selling that on the street to feed your habit also. So you're giving a, a bunch of stuff that has huge black market value, and you're an addict. What are you going to do with that? Because the treatment that we're offering is great for the cartel. They're making boatloads of money, but it's not helping people who are addicted. Uh, it, this, is, this is maddening. And obviously for our listeners, just so you guys know, I did last show partially on this issue. Um, I have spent the last 48 hours engrossed in this issue. I have pages of data. Um, a lot of it on the supply side was caused, as we spoke about, open borders, sanctuary cities, suspension of all immigration enforcement in Obama's second term. The timing is exactly then. The heroin, fentanyl, now carfentanil, um, which is pretty much a, a, a weapon of mass destruction, has made its way into this country. We, we refuse to deal with the source. But then right at the same timing that that happened from 2012 to 2014, which is when this took off, we had the Medicaid expansion. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of things there. There's obviously the attracting to, you know, more addicts. Then there's the fraud side of it. The, and the worst kind of dichotomy here is on the one hand, it's horrible long-term care. Medicaid stinks. Everyone, everyone agrees to that. But then on the other hand, what you do get access to is absolutely free. You know, I have um, the worst thing, thank God, I have are spring allergies. But, you know, the Flonase, regular stuff doesn't work. I need the good steroid stuff, Zatona, Q-Nasal. It costs a couple hundred dollars a pop, and I got to pay it all out. So you know what I do? I mean, I really toughen it out. If I need it for about eight to 10 weeks, I'll pick the worst four weeks, only get two maybe, so it costs me 600, rather than I'll probably need to spend 12, 1500 um, worth if I wanted to use it the, the whole spring. You know, I toughen it out with Sudafed and some other things, especially when I got to do a broadcast, not sniffling. But if you told me I didn't have to pay a dollar, Jim, I'd binge that stuff. Forget it. Of course, why not? Why not? There's I mean, even a study. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, that, that, that's, that's how it is. Right. And there was, back, and you're 100% right. If you don't have skin in the game, then, you, then you're, there's no incentive to tough it out. But with opiates, um, the, there's the perception that these things are, are very powerful. They're going to control your chronic pain. And for some people, then it, it works. But you know, actually works better? Motrin and acetaminophen. 
So actually, there was a big study that was just a couple of days ago put out by Johns Hopkins University that said uh, that you actually have a better outcome and better control of your pain if you just tough it out and use Motrin and acetaminophen um, instead of the, the big gun Oxycontin and, and opiates. But, of course, because of the way the Medicaid system works and because the reimbursement rates are so low and there's no time to actually work with the patient um, and talk them through that or even explain it, you just hurt, you know, you're, it's a... Uh, it's like McDonald's. I mean, you got to get them in and out if you want to stay afloat. And if you know, if you're seeing Medicaid patients, that's why the Medicaid system, you know, it's good to it's good to make sure. I think through charity care that people have access to care. That's what you know. That's a good thing to make sure they're getting actually quality care. But we're not giving them quality care. They're getting lots of free stuff, but they're they're not when they're not able to see the the uh, and have the time. Um, given to them to see the specialist that, that you need when you get when you get sick, uh, or the long term care like you mentioned. If you're in, if you're somebody who's addicted to heroin or fentanyl or carfentanil, you need long term inpatient treatment. And I mean one or two or three years in order for your brain to heal. And just throwing a bunch of pills at people, which is what's currently done, as I was mentioning earlier, which is good for the cartel because they make tons of money and you never get better. You're not, you're, of course, you're not going to ever be cured of addiction, but they like it when you keep coming back and back and back because they keep making money that way. It, it, so, it makes me sick. A couple of months ago, your neighbors in uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Senators Casey and Manchin wrote a joint op-ed promoting more Medicaid funding for these programs. And government's essentially doing that now um, in the last budget bill as the solution. I mean, that's literally an arsonist coming, putting on a firefighter's uniform. And then instead of a fire hose, they have a, a blowtorch. Um, you know, I want to throw some stats at you. And if you could just share with me what you're experiencing across the river. Um, West Virginia is obviously the worst state per capita. Ohio is the worst in absolute numbers of, of fatalities from overdoses in 2016, apparently 2017 as well. 71% of the 880 people who died in West Virginia last year were on Medicaid. Now, there's a high Medicaid rate in the state. It's about 23%, but 71% of those who died of overdoses were, um, were Medicaid uh, patients, uh, even though the, you know, um, what do you call it? Half of them had high to very high Medicaid claims prior to their deaths. And a quarter of them, a quarter of them filled their prescriptions with more than one doctor. And that tells you that's the doctor shopping that, again, when you have free stuff, so they don't have access to a lot of quality care, but the people that do take Medicaid, there's no barrier. Like, you know, I would have to pay for every step of the process from the office visits and the follow-ups to the prescriptions at the pharmacy. This is all free. So they go to various different doctors. They don't tell them about their history. A lot of this, it's not the doctor's fault. And they get this stuff. Some of it, they're personally addicts. Other times, they're selling it. Um, again, you know, I, I've seen a statistic that uh, you could get pretty much prescribed 120 to 20 milligram oxys um, for pretty much nothing and then make $2,400 off those pills. Right. Are you seeing similar yep. statistics correlation with Medicaid and, and the drug overdoses in Ohio? We did. So I think we're ahead of West Virginia and what we're, what actions we're taking. And in 2012, um, actually representative Terry Johnson, who's a, a great American, um, a, a colonel in the army reserve, uh, and a doctor who treats the addicted patients, um, and he developed a bill so that we actually have the doctors have to check an online system to see if somebody's doing that doctor shopping to see whether or not, you know, they've, uh, been prescribed, uh, you know, opiates somewhere else uh, within a, within a short period of time. That's that's been pretty effective. We're actually I'm actually working uh, with the United Scott Wyatt who lost his son to addiction to try to strengthen that in, the, in our medical board here uh, in Ohio to, to make sure they're actively um, uh, monitoring that to make sure that that doesn't there's no abuse in terms, especially in terms of prescribing habits and prescribing too many pills because after five days. Everybody in, in the country should know this, and this is a, a tragedy, I think, and, and maybe it is also the cartel that doesn't really want to say that. But after five days, you will, that's, the, that's the most dangerous period. If you take opiates from at that five-day point, that's when your brain changes. 
So that and anything longer than five days is extremely dangerous. And and that and there are CDC guidelines that actually state that you're only supposed to give three day supply. So we want to make sure that people are adhering to the guidelines, um, and, and the medical board uh, and and the state is working on that. So so there are different things we're doing, but unfortunately, when when in Ohio when we passed that bill and uh, into law, then a lot of people then went to heroin because they couldn't doctor shop. So we had a huge spike, and I think that we were ahead of West Virginia, um, and we saw we've seen tremendous exponential growth in the in the overdose death rate until last June. And last June, it dropped by about 50% in many, in many counties, including Montgomery County, which we're the uh, number one county in the country. Um, for in, in our sheriff, uh, Phil Palmer, has been interviewed many times by the national media because of that. But our overdose deaths dropped by 50%. And though Sheriff Palmer is doing a great job, and, and you know, somewhat there's that, but other counties experienced a similar result. And it was what you said earlier, because President Trump is doing a great job at shutting down the border. Uh, and but and especially with uh, through the mail with China, who, who actually at, was, makes most of the fentanyl, car fentanyl that gets shipped in through UPS or FedEx. Sure. So they shut that down in June, and then oh look, look at that, supply actually works. You cut the supply, and you save lives. Bingo. Because and and that's what President Trump did. Now of course what's going to happen? No, there's no doubt in my mind, and I'm sure they're already working on. Uh, having alternative supply route through Mexico uh, or, or, you know, through our, our uh, border. But luckily, President Trump is also doing a great job strengthening the border because that is, and that's saving lives. I mean, that, the more we do that, the more we're not going to have illegal fentanyl and car fentanyl fucking out there. Because even the tiniest speck of car fentanyl, which is the elephant tranquilizer uh, or elephant uh, painkiller, that can, you know, that can kill you. Like, and, and that's literally chemical warfare. Babies have died just from having a little bit of it, you know, inhaled. Inhaled. I mean, a, a, wasn't a police officer got hit with it in Ohio? Did I make yeah. it up? They had Narcan. Yeah, they had the Narcan like 12 times. Oh, my God. Wow. J- just for, because it was around. That That's literally a weapon of mass destruction. I'm not going to. Look, hijack the conversation now, the whole business that we're halfway across the world in Afghanistan and Syria, this. And when we have this on our border, you know, before the libertarian, some of my libertarian friends jump on me. Yes, I understand much like a war on simple handguns or AR-15s, a war on simple drugs to a certain amount is not going to work. But this degree of crisis level that it, it's not all on the demand side. A lot of it's the supply side um, that just came in with the UACs, the same reason why we have a spike in um, MS-13 violence that when it was almost eradicated because of the 287G program, um, as you noted, yes, a lot of it is mailed from China, but a lot of it already, according to to, to, to DEA, is um, does come in through Mexico, and certainly all the heroin comes in through Mexico. But even the right. Chinese stuff, the smuggling within the country, the networks, they're almost all at the top level, you know, at the street level. They're all foreign national criminal aliens that could be apprehended and kicked out immediately. Are we going to eradicate all marijuana? No. But can we dramatically decrease heroin and fentanyl from the insane levels of the last few years of Obama's suspension? You, you better believe it. And, and Jim, I mean, isn't this simply money? If you dry up the supply, not end it, you know, but you dry up the supply by doing things, not a war on drugs, a protection of our sovereignty that we should be doing anyway for many other reasons, um, the cost will be much higher. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. If you cut off the, the, you know, the free pills or even the, or Suboxone on the treatment side that you're able to traffic you know, yourself to feed your habits, if you cut that part off and make sure that we're, we're tightly monitoring the ability to raise money if you don't, you know, you're, you're heavily addicted because we want to get you help. I don't want you to keep fading your habit. But at the same time, you protect the border. You make sure that we're able to get these, especially high-level viewers. But there, I was in, in committee uh, yesterday, and we had one bill that would increase the penalty slightly for somebody who goes to a rehab center and sells uh, heroin and fentanyl, car fentanyl, the people who are getting out of the rehab center. They're walking out of the rehab center. Just a slight increase in the penalty. And the ACLU testified and said, this is, you, this is horrible. You can't possibly do this because you can't you know, arrest your way out of this crisis. And then we had another bill later on that increased the penalty for dismembering a corpse. 
um, <laughs> to 11 years in prison. Um, and that was, that was just fine. No problem there. So you had 11 years in prison, not, not dismembering the person good, but, you know, for, for dismembering a course, but killing people that are vulnerable coming out of a rehab center in Ohio. And I even said this at committee, you could, I could sell to 140 people that walked out of the rehab center, fentanyl and carpet, I could sell it to them. And you couldn't bring me to prison under Ohio's laws. That's how weak our laws are on drug, on drug dealers. We need, as a country, to, to very distinctly separate between people who are addicted and need help and the people who are dealing. It's just, to me, the same as armed robbery. You're, you know, you're going to go rob a bank. Um, you know, and, and you know, people are going to die for, I, look, doing it for money. Jim, I disagree with that you. And dealing? I, I disagree for a minute. I, I don't think it's armed robbery. I think, I mean, if you're talking about carfentanil, that's WMD. That's like nerve agent. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that, that we supposedly went to war in Iraq over that. Yet we have it on our border and now brought in by these uh, dealers. Again, a lot of them, um, you know, the sheriffs will tell you it's it's very much, you know, the young male foreign nationals, uh, DACA dreamer age, by the way, um, demographic that that does that. And just as you're saying this, I'm actually reading now an article um, about the ACLU doing the same thing on the MS-13 side. And there's some overlap oh, yeah. there, too. You know, that, that you can't kick them out of the schools and you can't. Um, they're having this problem in, in Suffolk County, L- Long Island, Montgomery County, Maryland. Um I mean, the very same people that want to just criminalize doctors, but then, I mean, this is the more severe problem. I'm going to link to you guys to, to in show notes. There's a chart from the Maryland Department of Human Resources. Maryland is now overtaking even Ohio and West Virginia. Um, you see a chart where the prescription opioid overdoses have, have completely flattened out. And even a lot of them are, aren't really exclusively the prescription. A lot of it's they have heroin and other stuff. In their, in their bodies and the toxicology reports. And then heroin and fentanyl is skyrocketing. It, 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 it's, this chart is worth 3,000 words. Um, you can just look at it. And then now carfentanil, the last 12 to 15 months in Baltimore, I believe there's been about 80 deaths. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Th- that's, I mean, this is, this is like, <laughs> it's literally if Saddam Hussein would have come to our border and just launched nerve agent on us. and I mean, it boggles the mind how this isn't a bigger issue. Oh, but let's have some Medicaid-funded programs. I I just it boggles my mind that somebody could do that with what you're saying and kill 80 people and 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 not either on the on the law enforcement side or the being deported side, and nothing happens to them. They're completely getting a slap on the wrist, right back on the street, and they're killing more, you know, more people, more of our kids. So it's I mean insane. I I think that it's it, it is a it is a crazy time right now where where we we have so many things just so backwards and so and things are so broken um, and and you know back to what we originally started talking about a lot of it's driven by these monopolies right, by these cartels and they don't want to fix the problem and I even had in Ohio this past week um, what and I have a, a bill to cure diseases but without appropriating any government money at all. Just to share our savings. So if you cure disease, we'll share with you for five years what we save. It's in a multi-state compact. So we don't, taxpayers can't lose it all. We don't spend a dime. Yet, wow. almost definitely, the cartel interceded, and even though, you know, it's a small state legislature, but interceded to have it 10 minutes before it was supposed to go up, they pulled it off the calendar, and I'm sure now it won't pass. So there, whatever, that just goes to show you and I don't know who it was, uh, but I'm sure it was somebody in the cartel or multiple entities that they don't they want to keep making money on on us. They don't want if you, anything that cures us, anything that makes us better, anything that that would improve our lives to the point where we don't need their help as much. Um, they're they're you know they're operating of course like businesses, but in this case they're able to without the free market to add play. Um, they are able to operate with impunity and and really hurt people. You know, I know you got to run over to Columbus to, to the state house soon. Um, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but you, you mentioned an interesting point. There's a big debate in this country has always been just raging over comparing America to Europe and all sorts of measures of healthcare and life expectancy. 
And a lot of times our side, it's like we have to defend America as if that's capitalism and versus socialism. And there certainly are ways that America is still better. I would argue a lot of that's from the older you know, portion of the profession that was still before, you know, when, when we still had some freedom. But in some ways, isn't our healthcare some ways also worse than Europe because we have the worst elements of capitalism mixed with socialism? So on capitalism, on, on the provider side, capitalism is fueled by greed. Now, the, the same thing is you have consumers who are very greedy too. So in a free market, you reach an equilibrium where the greed is actually a good thing. The motive for profit drives the best practices, the best scientific data, the best delivery at the best prices. And you're seeing this in every sector of the economy that is not taken over by the government through regulations, subsidies, mandates, you know, at monopolies. But in healthcare, why should we have to defend this messaging wise? In fact, aren't we having some, you know, like you, what you're describing to me is that. It's not just the price for access is astronomical because they're gouging us and they can gouge us thanks to the government. It's the quality. I mean, when you don't have personal physicians anymore, private practice, um, let me ask you this, and I'm kind of meandering, but let me ask you this. Um, Now that you have so many doctors working for corporate masters and not their own bosses, are you not going to have science driving best clinical practices anymore? No, here's a great example, and you're going to have money drive it, of course, um, and, and that's already the case. Something that we just we've just had, we're just getting through now, which is the flu season. And it's my understanding, I won't say the uh, retailer, but of course, retailers now are because they have this the, the market power. They're they're also the end of the game, um, and they're you know partnering with the cartel, kind of becoming part of the cartel. Um, you see this, for example, with uh, CVS. The CVS is a good example because they have, and we didn't get a chance to talk about that, maybe maybe another time, but they, they have a pharmacy benefit manager program um, as well as a retail side. Uh, so they control a massive amount of market share, a massive amount of, of the uh, provision of pharmaceutical agents. And this, is what, this was not CVS, but some similar CVS said to their providers who are giving flu shots um, and Tamiflu, as, you know, so Tamiflu is only good for the first 48 hours. Yeah. Uh, if you've got the flu longer than 48 hours, you take Tamiflu, which has bad side effects, then you're, it's against medical ethics. And they told their providers that no matter when somebody who comes in had the flu, they will give them Tamiflu. They will prescribe Tamiflu <laughs> because it's clearly they, they make money on Tamiflu. Very basic example, but that is the case. Throughout our healthcare system, where it's a system of referrals, where the you know the, the contracts will say you have to refer to, to you know this in this direction, your patients all have to go here. Um, you know that's a really good reason. Uh, that type of money-driven uh, protocols, instead of science-driven protocols, that is that is becoming more and more prevalent as you know, these um, you know the businesses. They're not we're not much of nothing wrong with businesses, but because they're They've grown to such proportion that they're occupying so much of the, the field that they're monopolistic, and therefore, you know, that's not free market. And, and, that's, and the reason they are, as you mentioned, is because um, it's a corrupt system. Not that they're corrupt, not that the cartel is, is necessarily corrupt to their businesses. They're operating in their own interest. It's your elected officials who are corrupt. They're the ones who are taking the cartel money. Because they're the number one most powerful lobby in state legislatures, at least I'm sure in DC also is healthcare. Yes, they have like half of the lobbyists, your healthcare lobbyists or healthcare clients. Um, you know four, that four amount of, the of top power. Seven, four of the top seven, and 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 some surpass the Chamber of Commerce in spending. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So they control everything, and 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 unfortunately, elected officials, your you know people in Congress and you know other uh, state legislatures, they sell out. They do exactly the bidding of the cartel, and and they have so much confidence that they can get whatever law they want passed, and and they have a great track record to show it. Look at Obamacare; that wasn't for the poor; that was for the cartel, and that's why all the all their stock prices went up immediately after Obamacare was passed, and they wrote it. Yep, and so all it is they're yeah, getting major ahead, bonuses, sorry. major bonuses, and no one's calling them out for this. Um, Nobody calls them out. It's just it's it's terrible. I mean, 
it's literally the arsonist being the firefighters here, how they, they, they get to come and solve all the problems. And again, back to the opioid stuff, it's fundamentally a border problem, but it's aggravated to the extent it's a healthcare problem. And they're like, hey, the pharmaceuticals and doctors, well, you guys created a situation where we don't have markets dictating efficient uh, quality outcomes. Um, you know, I like to tell people normally if I, if I want to start a business, I start out with zero market share. I have to claw to get my first, second, third customers through good quality uh, products, services, and, and competitive pricing. But when it comes to healthcare, the government programs give them automatic market share. 60% of Aetna and United Health of their profits are directly government programs. And then yeah. much of the remaining 40 is because of the original sin, the $300 billion a year tax exclusion for employers. So rather than having to compete for 325 million individual consumers, you have about five lumps of chunk you know, consumers, so to speak, um, all in a bundle that government packages them on a silver platter. And that's how no one could kind of break in um, you know, talk about Amazon trying to break in and, and into healthcare. The problem is that they own both ends now, right? I mean, they own the, they are the consumer and they are the provider. Yeah. Well, the, the reason why everybody freaked out when that announcement was made with Amazon and, and uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway and, and uh, Chase, I believe, was because they, and they have, in, at least somebody has in their interest to spend less money. Like that was why it was such a shock that those three companies yep. want to spend less money on health care for their own bottom line. And even though, as you mentioned, I mean, that, that's what it takes these days to have anybody in the country for, for, our, for our citizens that actually is trying to have us have a higher quality, lower cost health care to actually focus on that because nobody focuses on why are costs so high and why do we spend – 50% more as a percentage of GDP than the next nearest country on healthcare, as you were mentioning before, not that their healthcare system is better, but ours is incredibly wasteful and corrupt. And we could have, we could triple the size of our military if we just spent the same as a percentage of GDP as the second most expensive country in the United Kingdom. Triple. Exactly. It's a national security issue, how much we spend on healthcare. The national security issue. It will, it will cripple our country. We, there will be Another crisis like the housing crisis and healthcare, and of course the Fed will come if they build up the banks. They'll surely build up the hospitals and the cartel because they'll say, you know, they'll claim that everyone's going to die if they don't get the bailout. And Mark, I don't know exactly when but it will happen. Yep, I mean by by twenty forty seven, I mean you know less than thirty years, healthcare spending will be about twenty five percent greater than Social Security. Um, so that's really the biggest issue, much more than Social Security. And again, Social Security doesn't distort the market and destroy any product. It's just kind of its own you know, pot of money there. Um, here, worse than even the cost, like we say, is the cost of the consumer. Um, Europe might have socialism, but we have venture socialism. It's funneled to create a monopoly in the worst mix of, of greed, but, but shields and obfuscates the cartel from the need to please consumers, um, endless subsidies. Uh, you know, I wrote an article yesterday kind of explaining the medical loss ratio, like you just said, how um, the, these people love the actuarially insolvent regulations. And people ask me, well, why would the insurance companies lobby for them and lobby against repealing them? It doesn't hurt them. Well, it would hurt them in a free market, except they're right. kept afloat by the endless subsidies and government programs that give them market share. So once you have that, then not only are the regs not a problem, they're actually a fortification because it prevents right. anyone that doesn't have the economy of scale. No one could break in with those crippling regs if they don't um, concurrently have the contracts with Medicare and Medicaid. One, one last example from my local area, because this is happening all over the country. So we have one of our two hospital networks in our area that, you know, they're kind of the oligopoly. Um, they're, they are shutting down a hospital that's in one of the poorest areas of Dayton, um, Good Samaritan Hospital. And they're saying, well, for business reasons, we have to shut it down because they're mostly Medicaid patients and we don't get as much for Medicaid, even though they actually do make money on Medicaid in hospitals. But we are, we're going to shut this place down and consolidate at our other hospitals. So, okay, that's fine. But they're also bulldozing the, the hospital 
so that nobody else can come in and provide any, any type of competition. And if and it's $18 million for them to build it as a hospital, as a hospital um, they will not sell it to anybody who might provide healthcare services to that poor area of Dayton. Like, you know, a, 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 some type of charity care or anything else like that. They, will, they are ensuring that that's not the case. And nobody can come in and compete against them, and they're getting, and they're totally getting away with it. Because, and nobody's going to be able to come in and provide any type of health care to that very desperate community um, because they're, they're just solidifying their oligopoly um, in our area. So that's that's a very small example, but a good example of how what used to be charity, or, you know, the, our hospitals used to be religious organizations that were sure. were out to, to help people. Um, for the most part, now you know, or, or otherwise, um, public hospitals, and now they're businesses. It's not that they're just businesses, but because it's not a free market, they're able to solidify their their um, their market share without having to work for it, um, in the in the same way that it, they would in a normal free market. No, exactly. They don't have to pay taxes, but they get to earn a record profit, get all the subsidies, all the programs, all the handouts, get to use statutes and regulations to box out competition. I mean. They they got to yeah. pay the facility fees, obviously. Um, my God, yeah. I could go on forever with you. I love having you on. We got to have you on more often. Um, I would just tell our listeners. I mean, if the past forty five minutes of our discussion was in the lexicon of every Republican and every proposal, um, you would see a very different outcome because nothing we said. And I've gotten feedback the last time I had people like you on the show um, from people that said I'm not a conservative. But, you know, everything you're saying makes sense to me. And um, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Let me just really quick as you're out the door. There's no inspiring candidates, even as as Ohio turns more Republican that we're seeing for governor, for senator. Would you ever run for statewide office? I will do whatever <laughs> I can to fix the problems that we that we're talking about. <laughs> but I got to tell you, um, it's. Obviously, very challenging to be in office um, when a lot of the people around you in office uh, are uh, not willing to do what we're talking about or even talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> um, you never, you never even hear this. You know, tune on the TV, which is often I mean, the media is complicit in this because they don't want to hurt their advertisers, which their biggest advertisers are the healthcare industry. So they have a they have a business reason to not get, let anybody, you know, like Republican or, or Democrat conservative or liberal talk about any of this stuff, but nobody's even trying to talk about this stuff. Nobody's really that I can tell or even around the country is really fighting for this. I think uh, Congressman Warren Davidson is, is, is in DC. I think he's doing a great job. So yeah, there's some, good some good people, but we're, but we are, you know, there are, you're very outnumbered in government um, <laughs> to, to those that are, that are just trying to get to the next office and, and to do that, they need all the healthcare money and, and other money out there that, uh, that fuels their campaigns. Well, th- th- there you go. And um, I know you got to drive out to Columbus now, but thanks for, for the generous time you've given us here. And, and yeah, it's pretty ironic. This is a national show with a national focus, yet I have to go to an Ohio state legislator to have this discussion. Because <laughs> frankly, I mean, even some of my friends, even some of the conservatives in, in D.C., there's just, there's no narrative. And, um, you know, I asked some of the top people, um, you know, questions about quantifying the facility fees and what to do about it. And they said, Daniel, what's a facility fee? And well, I mean, that's the that's problem. Right. You know, that's, that's the issue. So um, we'll have you back soon. Thank you so much. And, and good luck in, you. in all your fights there. Thanks. Jim is a state representative, obviously, from the Dayton area. He graduated from the United States Naval Academy in the top percent of his class. He might even actually still be in the Naval Reserves. Um, I have to check on that. Really stand-up guy. And, and this is – I can't do what I do alone to cover such an array of issues in depth. And it's people like Jim on healthcare, some others and some other issues that I'm able to draw upon. And, you know, a lot of people just don't know from them. Unfortunately, we can't get people like that to ever run for national office because it's just such a dumpster fire. Um, But again, I I tell you guys, go back to the last 45 minutes of our conversation. You tell me if we had Republicans running on this, messaging it, introducing legislation this spirit you tell me you wouldn't not only energize your base but win over a lot of independents and democrats on such a message um what we have now in healthcare, even beyond obamacare is not a free market at all and it's nothing we should be defending 
Um, I'm going to continue a lot more with the um, opioid crisis. Um, it, that is, it is, it is just killing me. By the way, I'm looking at this now, and I, I said there were 80 deaths, there were 59 deaths the first three months of 2017 in Baltimore um, from carfentanil, which is basically a weapon of mass destruction. Um, it's it's just it, this is crazy. This should be, you know, while while Democrats are, you know, chomping at the bit with all oh, school shootings and, you know, how how bad of a tragedy is, you know, 17 people were killed in Parkland, got a few dozen and a couple others. Um, obviously, you got Las Vegas, which no one wants to hold a hearing on, by the way, ahem, and for good reason from the left wing vantage point. Um, but this opioid crisis, which is mainly a heroin and fentanyl, now carfentanil crisis of drug smuggling networks that we allowed in from Mexico. We need to make this an act of war. We need to deal with this from militarily on the Mexican side of the border. We need to deal with this throwing out every single criminal alien in this entire country, which we could do tomorrow if we actually fixed the stupid courts and had the will to do it. Um, and it wouldn't violate any constitutional right. Obviously, you know, citizens, they have due process. Is it different? You know, it takes longer. Um, Nobody is raising outrage of that, MS-13. I'm working on a big report on all the lies about the opioid crisis and how it's the people that are with their solutions that are really part of the problem um, and what really caused it and precipitated it and all the trends. So this is the narrative we're, we're missing. I can't force others to find the truth, but we could speak the truth ourselves. We could speak over the bumper sticker talking points actually delve into the important issues. I'm going to have more guests on to discuss healthcare as well. Um, it's an issue I'm very passionate about. It's the number one domestic policy issue. We cannot move on from it. The people, most people aren't liberal or conservative. They don't understand the issue. They just know that healthcare is not working for them. And Democrats champion that message. But unfortunately, they're the ones who broke it. And our people never hold them accountable, never offer a counter message. Jim Butler's message, I think, is spot on. I hope you've learned a lot. Um, send me your questions, what you want followed up. If you have questions for Jim, he's the type of guy I would be happy to answer it. Um, I'm just about out of time. I got to run back to to a meeting. Um, God bless you all for listening. Thank you for all your support. Keep sending me your messages. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 